the dark, whistling in the dark. Welcome to This Might Be a Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Simpson. Got a little mailbag segment, then I'm going to follow that with uh, some follow-up to the World's Address episode, uh, where Marcus and I had a lot of questions about the World's Address remix. I've got some answers from Joshua Fried himself. Uh, I wrote to him, and he got back to me with uh, some rather cheeky answers. So... I'll get to that in a minute, but first, uh, thanks to everyone who's been keeping in contact on Twitter, Facebook, everything else. Uh, we've got some some feedback to uh, the live episode. Uh, first one is from Jared Pike, sent us an email. This might be a pod at Gmail. Hey, Greg, Jared Pike here. I just wanted to say good job at the gig at Sixth Street Dive on Saturday. I stumbled upon it when I saw, quote, they might be giants, quote, and quote Lafayette on Google News and assumed it must be a mistake. Culture like that doesn't come to our town. But I became a believer once I started listening to your podcast. So this kind of blew my mind here because I'd found Jared uh, on YouTube uh, doing They Might Be Giants covers. And I'm actually in the middle of recording the Fingertips episode and found a uh, crazy mashup compilation, whatever you want to call it, that he did, where he took fingertips and basically mashed up the Beatles and fingertips and made uh, fingertips in a Beatles style. It's very hard to explain. You'll be hearing some of that on the fingertips episode when that comes out, but uh, I, would, I, would, I would recommend you go and check it out now. So, uh, just Jared Pike, if you just search fingertips and Beatles, you'll probably find it. So then Jared continues, TMBG were my first ever concert in 1997. In the pre-YouTube, pre-Napster era, I became obsessed with downloading everything TMBG online through fan websites, official outlets, and even questionable FTP servers with bootlegged live shows. They have so many songs and so many gigs, it's downright impossible to experience everything. Thank goodness we have a wiki to compile it all. They even unearthed my very naive 1997 concert review. And then he links to a review he did, which was... uh. Looks like October 18th, 1997. And he said, he uh, finished with, It's been a long time since I've been able to talk about them with anyone. I didn't want to bother you at the show. You seemed pretty busy. But perhaps we could get together and record an episode. I do video for Purdue University, so I'd be happy to volunteer my skills. Yeah. I had no idea that this guy that I had been finding online uh, lived in my town. I mean, rather across the river, but in greater Lafayette area. And he works for Purdue, as does my wife. Uh, and uh, he does video for Purdue, which makes sense why his videos on his YouTube channel have such high quality. So I would definitely recommend seeking him out. So thanks for writing, Jared. Uh, me and him have been writing back and forth a little bit. And uh, he definitely will be on an episode. So uh, if, if you guys haven't noticed already, usually if you write some sort of meaningful correspondence to me, I'm, I'm going to get you on an episode. So, yeah, so then we had another email from Ward Lewis, and Ward Lewis says, Dear Greg, hello, I've been trying to catch up with your podcast on Spotify, just so you know, you have listeners there. I've really been enjoying this podcast. 
I usually don't listen to podcasts besides the official TMBG podcast, which I've listened to all of. I've been exposed to TMBG my whole life since both of my parents were exposed in high school. I would call myself a huge fan, but some people may disagree with me. It's nice finding a place where people geek out about They Might Be Giants as much as I do. What I find joy in is playing songs like I'm Your Boyfriend Now and Turn Around for my friends and seeing the confused and sometimes shocked look on their faces. I hope this podcast keeps going long enough for at least all the good TMBG songs to be discussed. Another band that I listen to, since I heard you like to hear about bands that TMBG fans like, is Frank and the Walters. They're a great band that few people have heard of. Dot, dot, dot. I hope you do songs off of the Escape Team, preferably The Poisonous, which feels like how TMBG would sound if they tried to make a rock opera. I also hope someone does This Is Only Going To Go One Way, since I find no one is doing much about it, and I feel it's one of the best songs to come off of to come from My Murdered Remains. Also, if you look at really any interpretation for the kids' songs, you're going to have a laugh. In reference to the Door to Door Minotaur episode, CDs are the best! I will even take digital-only albums like Flood Live in Australia and put them on CD just so I can listen to them. In reference to the Istanbul episode, you didn't, possibly intentionally, mention the official Istanbul remix off of the Istanbul EP. Anywho, this is a long email since I've had to catch up on many episodes. Thanks for making this podcast a thing. Thanks for writing, Ward. Yes, I, uh, I, I like getting long emails like that to see that people have been uh, binging the podcast. I, I can't expect everyone to have found out about me from episode one. So uh, I like the thoughts, uh, your thoughts there on all those episodes. Uh, the Istanbul thing, yeah, you know, that one with my parents was definitely a little different uh, focus, as you could tell. And you'll notice <laughs> that since we recorded the first half around Thanksgiving, and then that second bit around Christmas, there was some stuff that I had forgotten. I got back in there. But clearly there was still something I forgot, the official Istanbul remix. So, uh, whoopsie-doodle. But we do have uh, Abby Bash has already recorded an episode about uh, Duncan, of course, of course. Uh, I had just spread that out from her Minotaur episode because uh, I didn't want a repeat guest on right away. So that one is uh, it's in the queue. It's in the docket. Uh, check the Twitter. I'm going to post a updated screenshot of the schedule so uh yeah look out for that okay so i think i'll just wrap the mail back up at that there may be some twitter correspondence i'm forgetting about but let me just jump right into joshua fried's uh correspondence with us so uh well john uh Ulis from miscellaneous tea and the wiki uh, always, always letting me know what's up. He uh, notified me that Joshua Friday is actually in the miscellaneous T group. I'd never seen him post anything, but there's so many people in there, I might have missed it. Uh, so I was like, oh, he's on Facebook. You never know. You know, people that came of age in the 80s, you know, are, are they keeping up with the, all the dumb social media that the rest of us do? Who knows? But he's on Facebook. And he had a really cool photo of him like at the steering wheel, like uh, Marcus and I had found on the World's Address episode, him like playing music somehow with the steering wheel. So uh, I messaged him and he uh, sent me some responses here that I'm going to read for you. And uh, he's a bit of a uh, humorous man, so we need to take some of these with uh, a grain of salt, I suppose. You'll see what I mean. So first, I want to get some answers cleared up. Marcus and I probably had just as many questions as we had answers in our episode, and that's kind of how this podcast rolls. 
I messaged Josh in a first question. I said, how did you originally meet the Johns? Joshua. We were all in the same skydiving class at the Pyramid Cocktail Lounge on Avenue A. I was performing there and also worked sound. They played a number of times. Then I asked, was the first time you collaborated when you did the split EP, or did you collaborate live at all before you put it to record? Joshua says, no, we first collaborated on the World's Address remix. Before that, it was strictly competition. Flans and I both tried to impersonate Linnell as he was a year older and could get into R-rated movies while we were still too young. Whoever was the most convincing got to see the flick. <laughs> then I asked, uh, tell me a little bit about how the EP came about and what that experience was like. He says, the magazine, Ferro Botanica out of Hoboken, New Jersey, asked us to contribute music. I gave them my piece, Insane, and one part of my opera with Iris Rose. Camden, an American musical tragedy. So I'm going to go ahead. Uh, he sent me clips of these things, which I could not find online, and definitely the physical's out of print from that EP. So here's a little bit of Joshua Fried's Insane, which I'm just hearing for the first time now. Insane! 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 Friend of yours? Insane! Insane! Here's a clip of Camden and American Musical Tragedy. Don't give me no lectures. Just give me my check. My kids are fine. My house works fine. My mind is fine. My life is fine. Just give me my check. Try to save, try to behave, just give me my check. I can't wait, no bank line. Guess I'll pay ten bucks.
steak for lunch. It's only once a month. You kids get what you want, but you gotta eat it all. I love it at the mall. Everything's so clean. I just want what's best and what's good for my kids. So then I asked, when Lincoln came around, how did you decide on the world's address amongst all the great remixable songs on that record? And he says, I'll try not to trip over myself here. The slinky song sat slying, slinging syllables and lofty loose leaf summits, surmising to remit or omit, which sang song, which slings slushly into messier remissed mix. The meat moot moreover moribund, flagrantly floundering, philandering. So Flansburg picked the song. <laughs> Flansburg told him to cover that one? <laughs> okay. Um, that was tricky. Then I said, can you tell me a little bit about the process of remixing a song in 1988 or 89? Uh, I've personally remixed other people's songs in the digital age. You know, sometimes bands will do a remix contest and provide stems. Uh, and then you could just, you know, drag the wave files into your software. Uh, and, uh, uh, the first time I actually did this was with a band called I'm from Barcelona. They did a remix of a song off their second record. Um, I'm blanking on the song now. Uh, but that was fun. My remix I submitted, I'm sure it was horrible, but it was a lot of fun to do. And I don't ever want to come down from I said, what I'm most interested in is, did they provide you stems, if they're even called that, and were they on tape? Uh, when you do speeding up and slowing down, is that on tape or vinyl or dot, 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 question mark? Uh, and he said, I had the MIDI files and the multi-track, but some tracks stayed MIDI till the final mix, a thrifty but risky practice. I had never even heard of the term stems until after 2000. And then I said, I asked, how did you come up? with the first part of the remix. Your version is almost a completely unique song until more than a minute into the song when it starts to sound recognizably like the world's address. Also, I know you made your own samples. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? He says, The concept was to make a hip-hop groove at the exact same tempo as the main song and sort of lurch between the two. That happens a few times, the first time about three seconds into the song. 
Yes, I made my own samples the old-fashioned way, with a microphone and a chisel. Uh, then I asked how did Hello the Band come about, and what was it like making that EP? Flans wanted a house band for the Hello Recording Club, and we were it. We got into these tight bird costumes for the cover art. Otherwise, making the EP was just the same process as running a presidential campaign. Strictly grassroots, mind you. <laughs> and then last I asked, do you still hang out with the Johns much? Any plans to collaborate more with them in the future? And he says, on advice of counsel, I declined to answer on the grounds that to do so truthfully would tend to incriminate myself. So thanks, Joshua Fried. Uh, you should go check out more of Joshua Fried's more modern stuff. Uh, he put out an album called Radio Wonderland uh, in 2016. Let's see. The SoundCloud says two years ago. He put out a record, uh, Seize the Means by Radio Wonderland, the debut, the debut album on Clang Recordings. And there's uh, streaming on SoundCloud. You can get Radio Wonderland all over the place. Uh, there's a bunch of links to vinyl, USB, iTunes, Spotify. So look for Joshua Fried. Radio Wonderland and uh, find some of that new stuff. Uh, but thanks so much, Joshua, for sending me those uh, long lost tracks off the 1986 EP with They Might Be Giants. Thanks for answering my questions. I appreciate the humor as well, as this is not uh, a, a very seriously um, serious podcast. So we seriously love They Might Be Giants, but we're not very serious in our conversation. So thanks again. Uh, and now, enjoy this episode, the first episode, with Franz Nikolai of the Hold Steady and the World Inferno Friendship Society. It's a good one. He picked a kid's song. A kid's song that was not originally written as a kid's song, uh, which uh, we found out along the way. So, write us, this might be a pod at Gmail. Hit us up on Twitter, at this might be a pod facebook.com slash this might be a podcast i just posted a bunch of pictures from the don't let's start live episode and uh call us leave us a voicemail yo you know i love them our google voice number uh is 224-801-2930 that number again is 224-801-2930 now enjoy the conversation with uh, myself and friends Nikolai. I am not your broom. Now broom you must now sweep for me, the dust it fills my room. No, John, I will not sweep for you, for I am not your broom. What nonsense are you speaking, broom? My words you must obey. Another life awaits me and I'm leaving you today. I am not your broom. I am not your broom. I've had enough. I'm throwing off my chains of servitude. I am not your broom. Hey! Hi! 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 Friends, it looks like you're like in a fog there. What's uh? Yeah, there's a reason for that, which is that um, no, I did the thing where I put the black tape over the camera for paranoid reasons, <laughs> and then it, it left it left sticky junk gunk all over it. So now it's not. Let me just see if I can wipe it off. No, that's worse. <laughs> that's worse. <laughs> that's fine. Anyway, that's I, that's I the way my computer is now. Yeah. I usually like taking a screenshot with uh, people as we're taping, so I don't know if uh, if it won't get any better than that. I'll be like, "Hey, you guys have to believe me. This really is Franz Nikolai." <laughs> a little better. Look. Oh yeah! Hey, there we go. 
Man, where's your stash? I was hoping we'd be stash buddies. That's like 10 years ago now. 10 years ago? I mean, I was looking up some pictures to show... uh, I mean, Kara knows the whole city very well, but she was like, wait, which guy is he? I'm like, the keyboards. Because last time we saw you... Let's see. We saw you guys in Bloomington, Indiana at the Bluebird in... Oh, was this the Separation Sunday tour, maybe? Oh five, oh six, kind of. Yeah, it was a while ago, and then now we're here in Lafayette. I can tell you for sure if you really want to know. Ah, I have like an archive of. Oh, do you? And then we yeah. saw you on New Year's Eve in Chicago. Um, oh yeah, that was. Hey, Tara. Awesome. What New Year's was that that we saw the whole study with? Uh... Bloomington at the Bluebird, by the way, was two thousand eight. November two thousand eight. Wait, what was There it? was a... 2006 New Year's Eve. Yeah, that was before the... That was Chicago, yeah. Oh nine, we were at Jake's in Bloomington. Oh, did I go to that one? Did we see them in at J- Jake's in Bloomington, too? I don't remember that one. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. That was during a, a, a weird swing. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> it's all a blur. Well, that was like... <laughs> No, no, no. That, that those are actually like more vivid than 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 usual because that was like that was the summer where I st- I quit drinking, and I was uh, like, I'm having I'm actually having a terrible time, and then I quit the band. <laughs> hold on, my wife's doing stuff to me. What? Yeah. Yeah, we saw him at the Bluebird. Yeah. Yeah, I remember very distinctly because what what year did you say the Bloomington was? Because. Oh eight. Because Boys and Girls and Separation Sunday were definitely out. Was there another record out by two thousand eight? Uh... Stay Positive came out in two thousand eight, but I don't know. That, yeah, stay, that was the Stay Positive tour. Oh, yeah, yeah, Stay Positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, oh, yeah, Separation uh, Sunday was uh, way before that. This was probably with the possibly with the Drive By Truckers. That sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah, man, the Bluebird in Bloomington was great. We don't live there anymore. Um, yeah, that was saw, with the truckers. I saw Dinosaur Jr. there, and I got right up to the stage. You know, there's no barricade or anything, <laughs> like right in front of Jay Maskus amps. So they might. Be- I don't remember that show at all. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> then I was you were, there, you I was were there still there drinking next- at the time. <laughs> yeah, well, especially on that tour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But- and then I did. A, I think the last show I did in Bloomington was a, I did a solo show on my first solo tour with at the Good Luck House at the Guilty Pleasures House. Oh. Or it was with it was at the good luck. Yeah, it was with good luck. Oh man, I didn't see that. And named Eric Ayat, apparently I don't remember. Yeah, he's done a music video for us for my band. He filmed a music video. He's a video dude too. Yeah. Oh, that was and I was a huge fan of Good Luck, so that was cool. Oh man, Matthew Toby, like one of the best guitarists I've ever seen, let alone like national touring. Like you know, like like he'll be singing while like double tapping and stuff. I'm like Jesus, man. Yeah, I contributed to his Kickstarter for his solo record that's that's just out. Oh, but I won't, you just he's, put out something? He's got some kind of a vinyl, okay. which he apparently has shipped, but of course I won't get it till July because I'm overseas. I lost track of him because he's not that good at social media, so now that I don't live in the same town as him. Because um, I know he's doing a lot of recording at Russian Recording. Do you know Russian? No. Well, the guy that owns Russian is Lil Bub's owner. <laughs> you know the cat Lil Bub? <laughs> No. You don't know Lil Bub? You should no. follow her on Instagram. <laughs> this cute okay. little smushed faced I mean she was born with all these birth defects, which 
don't affect her 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 you know um life other than like she has to like swallow food whole because her teeth are all messed up and she has she like snores and stuff it's the most adorable cat like like famous like she's been on like good morning america and he's done all this like fundraiser stuff for animal shelters and i think she she like uh hosted the puppy bowl one year like at the super bowl like like crazy stuff I think this guy makes more money, like, for charity off his cat than he does off of his recording studio. Those he's recorded a lot of awesome stuff. Though I, I will okay, suggest... I yep. I, Two million followers from, for this weird kitten. Yep. Okay. Yep. She's adorable. Though hey, I, let, I, let me ask you, Greg. Yeah, yeah. Um, should, if this is already the podcast, do you want me to be recording this on my, my audio side? Oh, uh, I, I'm already recording my ends. You can go ahead and hit record on yours for sure. I don't know if okay. you want that stuff about drinking to be made public. It's it's up to you. I don't care. It's all public. News. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. This is all gold right now. This is already the episode, I suppose. <laughs> I, I, hey, listen. I got all kinds of stuff to say. Hey, I'll tell you uh, one more thing about uh, Matthew Toby. If um, you haven't heard, he had this other band called Memory Map, which oh, I don't know about that. Lil Bub's owner, Mike Bradovsky, uh, played guitar, and then. This guy, um, Mike Dixon, there are two Mikes, a Matthew, and then Josh Morrow on drums. It was like an all-star, it was like a Bloomington, Indiana super group. And I know most people don't yeah. know Bloomington, Indiana, but it has a great music scene because, you know, IU, you know, Indiana University is here. The School of Music is incredible. Like the, the music scene here, like people that graduate from there and stick around, like there's a lot of good music there. Um, but Memory Map has three guitarists. Uh, Matthew Toby's doing like his, his normal, like awesome noodly stuff. Um, and this guy, Mike Dixon, like they don't have a bass player, but Mike Dixon has a MIDI controller hooked up to his guitar so that like the low three strings do like a synth bass trigger. <laughs> and, okay. and he has, so he has two chords coming out of his guitar. One goes to a bass amp and it's like a synth bass trigger when he plucks the low string. So he's finger picking and he's the lead singer. So he's finger picking high notes coming out of the guitar amp and low notes coming out of the bass amp, and then there's two other awesome guitarists, and then, like, Bloomington's best drummer. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it sounds, it's incredible. And my wife it actually... It sounds like one of those things that could be either, is either mind-blowingly amazing or mind-blowingly awful. No, it's amazing. Because <laughs> the songs are great. The songs are great. I mean, great. if Matt's involved, I assume it's awesome. The songs are great. Like, it's not like... Like, it sounds like it could be, like, all overly technical and shredding and, like, too cerebral, but it's very much about mm. the songs. And for having three guitarists, like they 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 mix it very well, and I will uh, I'll I'll send you some links after. But they put out some of my favorite records.
Dixon, the lead singer, now lives in... Uh... Are you still up there? Is he in Kentucky now? Mike, uh, Mike Dixon. Yeah, I don't know. My wife actually works with his dad. His dad and my wife are both professors at Purdue in the Spanish department. <laughs> Uh-huh. It's, I mean, the, uh, the, the Bloomington world. world that I the Bloomington world that I knew was mostly the Planet X stuff, like sort of by yeah. association, mm -hmm. yeah, crew and Boy and some of those people that I knew. Hell yeah, um, yeah. I wasn't fully in the Planet X crowd. It's unfortunate what's come out with um, <laughs> with uh, Chris Clavin. Chris Clavin, yeah. That's that put a whole damper on that thing. But there's still there's a lot of good I bands. High Dive is a good one. Do you know High Dive? I think there's yeah. still one. They're a good band. Yeah. Because uh, Ginger uh, is in that group, Ginger from Good Luck. Yeah, yeah. And she had a band I mean, called Traveling for a while, too. I saw them, yeah. Good Luck is like one of my... Good Luck and the Constantines are my favorite bands that have broken up, I would say, of like, wow. my conscious adult life. Wow, you'd put Good Luck They're up like there the with the bands Constantines. That I miss That's big. I kind of do. The good luck, those Good Luck records are so fucking good. And I, don't, I really don't get them talked about. The Stars Are Exploding is like the best song to ever come out of Bloomington, Indiana. death is uh i mean they're definitely the biggest thing to come out of bloomington um you know them right yeah i, I, I used to I run into them at festivals all yeah, the time that makes sense we sort of like personal friends more than i i, I don't really know their music but i, I oh, like dude. them personally <laughs> dude like the cello and i know they have a fifth guy now who well they used to have the dude from ockerville river would play accordion and trumpet and all kind of stuff yeah. Um, I think he's out, but there's another like multi-instrumentalist. So they do do some accordion stuff, keyboards, um, brass. Super good. They yeah. just put out a new record last year that I kind of slept on, but I, I, I got that later. It's real, real good. Um, hey, do I you mean, mind? Adam and Sarah are totally stand-up awesome people. Oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I had Adam on my I old podcast. I haven't... Because I have a Midwestern podcast, too, called Best Midwestern. Yes. About Midwest music. Uh, you know, all us flyover states deserve some love too. But um yeah, they're not technically in the Midwest anymore because they moved to Kentucky, which is not Midwest for some reason. It's not technically the Midwest, so we can't review their stuff anymore. <laughs> but he was on it. He's technically flyover though. Back when he lived in Bloomington and I lived in Bloomington, he actually got one of the few interviews I've done where he's come in the studio. 
But that podcast is pretty good too. Best Midwestern. We've interviewed Tim Kasher, um, Bob Nana, uh, a couple guys from the Smoking Popes. Like a lot of uh, a lot of cool guys have been on. Uh, Davey Von Bolin from the Promise Ring and Maritime. Uh, Brendan Kelly from Slapstick and Lawrence Arms and all that. Um, I mean, we focus on punk and indie stuff. It's it's through punknews.org as well. Sure, but that's pretty cool. So, you I'm guys came in at number uh, what was it? Number three on our list. We haven't posted this yet, but. Boys and Girls in America um, came out real high on that list. And it was, yeah, like 13 staffers made our top 100. And then we mathed, mathed it up. And uh, that's where it shook, shook out. <laughs> it's a great freaking record. When are you record. posting this business? Uh, so I'm trying to pull it together. I'm assigning like blurbs. I'm, I'm the guy that's the, putting it all together. And this has been like a year-long thing. But I had a baby in the middle of it. So that kind of... Uh, paused it for a minute. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, she's about How old now? She uh she'll be six months um in a few days. Okay. You're so you're you're in the shit. <laughs> literally. Elbows deep, deep in it. Elbows deep yeah. in, in literally poop. No, she's she's yeah. really good. She's a really good baby. How old are uh yours? Uh five and two. Five year old five and a half year old girl and um a two and four month old boy oh that's 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 good age i'm an elementary school music teacher so i'm a, i'm a pretty big fan of uh that age a kid uh yours probably isn't in school quite yet <laughs> she's in she did kindergarten well she did the first half of kindergarten uh out in california where we live now and then um and then we pulled her out and brought her to kiev where they, they don't do they don't have public kindergarten okay um so she's back in nursery school but in Ukrainian, so it's a whole other challenge. Um, <laughs> Has she? Yeah. So you speak Ukrainian then? <laughs> Poorly. Poorly. <laughs> but, you know, enough to get around. So how did you guys end up there? Uh, my wife it's, is from Ukrainian diaspora family, um, and that, she's an ethnomusicologist, and her oh, research is here. And nice. When we started dating 10 years ago, longer now, 12 years ago, um, she had just started her her you know year and a half of field work. Um, luckily, I was on I was in touring in Europe a lot at the time, yeah. and it was you know it's pretty cheap to just jump on a Wizz Air, Ryanair, whatever from from London or wherever I was. So I'd finish a, a hold steady tour or a solo tour and jump on a um, jump on a plane and go hang out with her in Crimea or in the Carpathians That's or wherever awesome. she happened to be That's at the time awesome. for a couple of weeks. That's amazing. Yeah, um, I love. I went back know, ethnomusicology is very interesting to me. I'd yeah. be interested. Like, she's published stuff. Her first book comes out in November. Actually, nice. my wife's first book comes um, out in uh, April. Okay, what's her field? Uh, it's, uh, well, she's a Spanish lit professor, and so this is her. Yeah, she's going up for tenure a year early because she's got her book ready, and um. So it's it, what, what institution? Purdue University. Purdue. Yeah. Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon. Oh, and sports. Claim to fame for Purdue. Yeah, sports. Uh, I yeah, I guess we don't follow sports. I well, I I'm a Chicago White Sox fan, but other than baseball, I don't pay any attention. So we went from IU to Purdue, <laughs> which are like harsh rivals, and people are like, "Boo, you're moving to Lafayette, boo!" And we're like, "What? You know, if it like." Does their Spanish department beat uh, Purdue's Spanish department? Because <laughs> that's <laughs> that's all we care about—the languages departments. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I teach out in a What's rural her county. Um, well, her book is about um, 
well, each chapter is focused on a, a travel narrative, different different stories. Um, so the focus is on uh, Mexican literature and Mexican American literature, and um, race and racial relations, like like the concept of whiteness and like um, it's you know it's all very heady stuff. And uh, sure. you know I've helped proofread some stuff, but I still have yet to read it front to back, so I probably should. Is, is she, I, I don't know if she's still listening upstairs, <laughs> hearing my half of the conversation. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Yeah, no, but she's uh, very smart. And ethnomusicology, like I've, we've gotten to go on some pretty cheap vacations because, well, first it was Indiana University paying for mm. her plane ticket, and now it's Purdue paying for her plane tickets, and then we just have to buy me a plane ticket, you know. And so, um, we've been all over. We're, we're in Ukraine on. Um... We're in Ukraine on UC Berkeley's dime. Hell yeah. For Maria's uh, sabbatical right, right now. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked about, um, I mean, Car- Car goes to Mexico all the time. She's about to go without me. Uh, and she went to Spain without me last year, but we went to Spain together the year before that. So we're always all over the place. You know, we've been to Brazil. Like my wife can, she can speak Portuguese too. She'll, she'll say that she's not fluent in it, but she pretty much, you know, she is. As well as Spanish. <laughs> and I always pick up instruments everywhere I go. So I have a bunch of like Peruvian instruments. I have a bunch of Brazilian instruments. Um, my, uh, yeah, I'm very interested in that kind of stuff. Like my accordions, my grandpa's accordion uh, is Italian, a little uh, diatonic in C and G. Uh, and it's like 150 years old. And that was my Polish-Lithuanian grandfather's. And then my piano accordion is a 1960s Sonola. And that one, I just got it. Uh, uh, the only accordion store in Indiana. It's in Richmond, Indiana. I had to drive two hours to get that. Okay, so uh, I guess we're here to talk about They Might Be Giants, right? Um, sure. Let me do an intro 18 minutes in. <laughs> Welcome to This Might Be a Podcast. The song by song podcast about the greatest band of all time. That's right. They might be giants. I'm your host, Greg Simpson, and I'm here with Franz Nikolai of The Hold Steady and a bunch of other awesome stuff. Uh, we are going to talk about. Hey, what song do you want to talk about first? We didn't even discuss that. Uh, either one. Uh, how about I'm Not Your Broom? Okay. Uh, this will be the first episode to air about a kid's song, which is uh, pretty cool. So we're going to talk about I Am Not Your Broom off of No! And then I'll drop in a clip of it. So, um... You can drop in the whole song, probably. It's like a minute it long. It is a minute long. Now, broom, you must now sweep for me. The dust, it fills my room. No, John, I will not sweep for you, for I am not your broom. What nonsense are you speaking, broom? My words you must obey. Another life awaits me, and I'm leaving you today. I am not your broom. I am not your broom. I've had enough. I'm throwing off my chains of servitude. I am not your broom. I am not your broom. No longer must I sweep for you, for I am not your broom. Shh, 
And I'm like, man, I wonder how long these episodes are going to go. But since we've talked for 18 minutes and haven't even talked about the song yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for this one, like we can talk about the kids music stuff. We can talk about it's such for a sure. weird song in all kinds of ways. It is very you, you know, weird. Like I can get into labor politics about it. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Hey, first, uh, I wanted to just ask a little bit. Um, you want to give us like the reader's digest version of how you got into playing music like when did you start what was your first instrument how old were you like uh, that kind of stuff i'm very curious about that and i know our listeners would be interested to hear that as well sure so um i started playing violin when i was five because i saw it's up perlman on sesame street and um told my parents i wanted to do that nice and they went out and tried to make it happen um i uh Started playing piano the the next year. Um, I picked up French horn for band, elementary school band. Nice. My wife's French a French horn. horn player. We met in college band. I trombone. Yeah. Trombone was my scholarship instrument. I wanted to play trombone, but my arms were not long enough to reach seventh position <laughs> at the time. So I gave me a, a I've French a horn instead, grader. which I still kind of feel. <laughs> I, I feel bad. As I've a got a sixth grader who can't reach, can't reach sixth position. And you still let him play trombone, huh? Yeah, he'll grow into it. It's fine. His C's are very sharp <laughs> right now. It's fine. It's fine. It's sixth yeah, grade well, band. They're all out of tune anyway. That was. I mean, it was uh, the nice thing about French horn, though, is like there's there were only like there couldn't have been more than a dozen of them in New Hampshire, so I got to be Allstate every year. Oh, nice! <laughs> Which suited my sort of like overachiever Lisa Simpsonness. That's great. Um, are they recording this? The, <laughs> Oh, yeah, my dad's got VHS tapes and stuff. Oh, Absolutely, man. that would be so. Um, awesome. Yeah, no, the other, the other girl who was sort of the gifted and talented student also played French horn, so we had that, you know, that rivalry all through elementary school. Yeah, the two French horn players, you know, staring daggers at each other. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, let's, what else? I played. Uh, I picked up guitar when I was fifteen, as you do. Um, uh huh. Um, got a bought myself a mandolin as a high school graduation present because I had gotten super into the band. Um, um, and then my dad had an accordion around um, the house because he came from German immigrant family, and he had been bought and brought an accordion back from Germany by his grandfather when he was a kid. Nice played in all the the accordion orchestras on Long Island and the polkas and waltzes, and he hated it. I mean, he really you know he was like a a kid of the sixties. So eventually he took yeah. a knife to the bellows. Are you serious? Make him, yeah. Yeah. They oh didn't make God. him take accordion lessons after that. Yeah. Well, it's like Beatlemania and stuff. You, they, they don't have accordions. No, of course not. Uh, he wanted to play the saxophone. Um, but I brought, I, he kept the accordion around. It was just like one of these little Honer student models. And I took it to New York and had it with me. Um, and didn't really come have a use for it until I joined world Inferno. Um, yeah. What year was and that? And then that was 2000. Yeah. So, hey, what um, kind of, well, just to back up for a second, what kind of music were you listening to like when you were a teenager? Because you were getting into all these instruments and stuff like mandolin is, is maybe not a typical thing for like an 18 year old to be like, hey, I graduated high school. Uh, let's get a mandolin. Like, what, what kind of stuff were you were listening to that made you want to get a mandolin and start playing accordion? I mean, specifically for a mandolin, I had gotten really into Dylan, and then I had gotten really into the band. And they have all these pictures of them in old timey outfits with accordions yeah. and mandolins. And, yeah, you know the the Rick, the um, you know the the Garth Hudsonness of it all. I was into, and 
you know, Levon playing the mandolin. And so, I, um, and, and that was that, um, I was a classical, I was a classical nerd as a kid. I wanted to be a, I, you know, if you had asked me in elementary school, what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have said a composer. Nice. Um, nice. I had these like cas- this cassette tapes of lives of the great composers, you know, quote unquote. Oh wow! Narrated, inter with with excerpts from the music, and I would just sit there on like Walkman with the little foam headphones and, yeah. and listen to those in the back of the car. Um, awesome. And I had a teacher, you know, in elementary school. It was a husband and wife team, so I would do like I would do a half hour lesson. The wife would teach me piano, and then a, a half hour, an hour. I don't even remember. With the husband would 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 teach me like counterpoint and voice leading and nice. you know wow how to write a fugue and that sort of thing Wait, how old were you when you were writing fugues <laughs> this is elementary school man yeah i've i've actually taught some uh through the because i you know i teach music full-time but i've also done some like park yeah. district classes and i've taught uh some young composing classes and uh it's it's a lot of fun but i didn't personally take any composition classes till i was getting my music ed degree but I love that stuff, and I did so many weird, so many weird things. But I loved it. Like I did a theme and variations on Doctor Worm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did a theme and variations on Total Eclipse of the Heart, just like as a joke. <laughs> yeah, it got some laughs at the uh, at the the student composition contest. I think I uh, got like third place or something. Uh-huh. It was pretty cool. As a as an undergrad, you did this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Said, yeah, yeah. I did a whole bunch of crazy stuff. I did a lot of writing for yeah, sure. percussion ensembles. Like, I did a the one I yeah the one I won. I think second place was the the best one I won. It's like fifty bucks or something. It was a uh, I wrote a piece for two marimbas, xylophone, vibes, glockenspiel. Uh, I played drum set, and then I had an like an auxiliary percussion guy, and um, I wrote it like a rock song. Cause that was, that was what I liked writing at the time, but treating the marimba like a bass and like, you know, the xylophone, like the melody and the vibes, like a guitar ringing out and, uh, it came out pretty good, you know? So it was all scored Sounds out awesome. and everything. Yeah. It was super fun. Yeah. I've got a pretty decent recording of it. Yeah. I love that stuff. So then, okay. So then jumping back to, well, I guess when, uh, how about when you, when you graduated, uh, high school, did you go to, did you go to school for music or anything after high school? Yeah, I went to music school, but I didn't go to conservatory. Um, I went to NYU to the to their music department. Uh-huh. I had sort of assumed that I was going to go to conservatory, but then I did um, the Berkeley School of Music summer. They have a summer program for sixteen year olds. Mm-hmm. I did that after my junior year of high school, which was awesome for all kinds of non musical reasons, just like the first time living away from home, first time living in a city, like yeah. first time drinking beer, like all this stuff, <laughs> hanging out with other music nerds, like finding a commute, like the first time of being like, Oh, there's a, there's a whole world out here. That's not, you know, this tiny little town that I, in New Hampshire, that I grew up in and everything's going to be fine. Once I, you know, <laughs> once I get that, yeah. but, but also saying, you know, realizing I don't actually just want to, take music classes all day, every day. Like these, these people who are just music jocks and want to, you know, want to spend all their time in the practice room. Um, music jocks. That's not, the, well, it's really, I mean, yeah. you run into this, this, if you've, if you've been in a music program, especially at a liberal arts school, um, you know, I would have these advisors who would basically, it's the same kind of talk sure. that you hear from, from, from college, the advisors of college athletes, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you, you, here's the easiest class you can take to fulfill your, 
requirement, your, your math requirement or your language requirement. So you can get back in the, the practice room or the gym and do your reps, right? you know? Right. And sure. I was just like, well, that's not why I'm here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So what, so what was your focus though? Like your instrument a focus or what was, or what was a composition or? It, it was, uh, I had a major called jazz composition, which there were just a couple of us, which was basically a split major where I did uh, my performance classes, piano performance in the jazz program and uh, composition classes in the classical department. Cool. Cool. Arranging and orchestration and all that stuff. Yeah, like like for for music ed, like I loved and and, and I don't think I <laughs> took it for granted, but I don't think I like I think I would appreciate it more now as a thirty seven year old. Like the fact that they were like I took like you know, I just take methods classes to learn how to play everything. Like I could when people ask me how many instruments I play, I'm like, I don't know. I'm like basically like I could play any any typical orchestral instrument at like a ninth grade level and then a handful yeah. like better, you know? So like yeah. when yeah. Um so it like the fact that I went to school and I took it like something like a double reads method and they're like, here's a bassoon. Here's how you yeah. get started on the bassoon. Go practice. Like it was amazing. Like the fact that that was my homework was like learn how to play the bassoon. It was so awesome. Yeah. The bassoon is great. Sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Sounds awesome. Here's this very expensive instrument that you're not just going to like pick up casually. Go. Yeah. Here's I got to send yeah. you this. Uh, <laughs> the, I, I ran across this piece of music in Spanish uh, that has the craziest bassoon solo I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, in fact, it's really, I mean, it's just like, it's a guy, it's an, a guy, a guy with an acoustic guitar a nylon string guitar and vocal uh-huh. and then there's this bassoonist jamming away on the bass line that's <laughs> through the through the whole track amazing. it's really bizarre i love i love introducing my young grades to um peter and the wolf because the the grandpa sure. with a bassoon is the grandpa it's just so funny i love the bassoon. my kids are super into the into peter and the wolf there's this we have this vi- copy on vinyl with borlet board the boris karloff narration nice um, that was, that was my wife's when she was, a, when she was little. Yeah. And, um, and as a result, my, my son, the two year old refers to all orchestral music now as wolf sound. That's awesome. Yeah. That's He's like, the, I want those, wolf sound. French I want wolf horns, sound. The French horns get to be the one evil character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so great. Horns are so great at sounding epic though. That's why like John Williams like puts all the good uh, melodies for his, his movies and music on the French horn. Uh, yeah, I have an, a, a cassette copy that my mom that from. Oh, who does the narration for that one? I don't know. It's really good narration, but it's. Uh, I still use the cassette when I do it in music class, and I keep thinking I'm like, I got to rip this digitally before I wear this cassette out. I'm going to ruin it. You know, yeah. I, I keep meaning to rip it, but yeah, it's from like eighty five, eighty six is the version, but it's a really nicely illustrated book <laughs> with a with a cassette that came with it because my mom's a pack rat and kept everything. Yeah, I have all these old these old records and stuff too. Like, I don't know if you know Ella Jenkins, the folk. Sure. Uh, yeah. 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 Apparently, when I was a kid, I was too young to remember. I guess we went and saw her, and I have a signed copy of um, "You'll Sing a Song and I'll Sing a Song" on vinyl, signed by her. And her signature is amazing because she wrote so like in cursive. It says Ella, and then the A just turns into like like she made like a self-portrait where it comes up and it has curly hair at the top and it goes around and she made a face in it it's the That's coolest great. coolest signature ever and i'm like i was digging it out of a box and i'm like uh mom did we go because i teach all these these ella jenkins songs and show all these videos that 
like the Smithsonian Folkways has a channel on YouTube that's really great. And yeah, you should show your kids those. Like she, it's like her teaching kids in the eighties like songs, and it's amazing. And like, mom, that's great. she makes I, an. Did you know she, she makes an appearance on a Mister Rogers episode? I discovered. Oh, I'll have to look There's that like up. A, <laughs> I'll have to look the world's up. greatest crossover. Seriously, Mister Rogers is it's it's the best kid show that's ever been created. Because yeah. it's it's nice and calm and doesn't treat kids like they need to be entertained by flashy colors. Right. But no, for obvious reasons. I've been like totally diving into all the, the kids' music of my of, of my childhood and figuring out what, what holds up and what doesn't and, and or what the yeah. what of the new of the new media is like seems seems fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm currently cool, cool doing a because I'm doing this folk unit. With the focus on like Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, Ella Jenkins, that kind of stuff. With my kindergartners and with my first graders, I'm doing a They Might Be Giants unit right now. We're going to do a performance of They Might Be Giants stuff. Well, sure. So if we want to pull it back to that, like that's sure. how I started revisiting They Might Be Giants is because when I started making playlists for my daughter, yeah. you know, all these songs that I had sort of filed away as like, these are, these are great kid songs or the kid songs that I remembered being great, or these are songs that I like that I think kids would also like. Uh-huh. Obviously there was a bunch of They Might Be Giants stuff that was sort of on that mental list. And it totally, a lot of it totally works. I mean, oh, yeah. in a weird way, um, the the actual kids records i think are less good as kids records than the regular they might be giants records (laughs) i know they barely say any bad words but well like for the program we're doing mammal and we're doing dr worm because they just love like the silly like the absurdist nature of some of their lyrics like really speaks to kids because just like like they'll take it literally as like a worm that likes to play the drums and that's the most fun way to take it anyway is that there's I mean that worm. that's the number one greatest hit in my family right now is Dr. Worm. Oh like everybody God. loves Dr. Worm. My kids that, love it, my wife loves it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like but like Particle Man, We Wanna Rock, yeah, yeah. Whistling in the Dark, yeah. like all that stuff. Shoe I had I sort one one that I didn't put on was shoehorn with teeth because <laughs> I was like I didn't want to explain about like people getting beat up for stating it like a, <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. have to get into that conversation. <laughs> yeah, the great thing about that's one of the greatest things about They Might Be Giants is the, these cheery melodies that can speak to people of any age and get stuck in your head. But the lyrics on the adult ones can sometimes get a little dark. <laughs> well, I think there's they have quietly quite radical politics. Oh, they do. In, on their in, Twitter, you know, it's not as quiet. They're very, I'm very sure anti Trump and left on their Twitter feed. Um, but stuff like, you know, your racist friend is a long time ago, like, you know, like bells and spiraling shape have this v- like vision of zombification. Yeah. Uh, you know, by the time you get this, it has like, has this, this weird message. Yeah. Well, um, uh, what episodes you know, did you get a chance to listen to? I listened to Dr. Worm and, um, uh, why is the sunshine? Yeah. Yeah. Those were fun ones. Um, which is also in in in, in rotation, um, of course, in our family. And Although then, the original one, the, the old, the, like the Canadian kids version, because oh, here's what yeah. happened, I, and I had forgotten this until I listened to that episode, is that the the There Might Be Giants version that I knew of that was the EP one, uh-huh. the slower one. Yeah, and when I had gone back to find it for my daughter, I only found the the rocked up pop punk version. I was like, oh, she's not going to like this, so I I, got, I ripped her the. The old animated version instead and i had forgotten that there was that i didn't I, I guess i didn't know that there were two different versions that they might be giants did yeah well, well that's what's cool about them and you know they'll continue to play their old songs but they're constantly mutating 
like the yeah the ep version of why does the sunshine uh is cool but then well they also did like if you look up um was it conan they did they did that version of it on conan or some late night show uh it's it's pretty cool your daughter might like watching that because i know it has the glockenspiel in it and the accordion Mm. maybe some saxophone yeah i don't know it's real cool yeah it's real cool um, bass clarinet or something yes yeah something I, i'm trying to remember because they're constantly changing the instrumentation of stuff especially linnell because he can play so many things like you'll see there's a version of uh particle man where he plays the stylophone do you know what a stylophone is yeah totally yeah yeah, yeah actually my wife just got me one for christmas <laughs> and he's doing particle that's man one of, that's one of those on toys that, that like every studio has like one of those and an omnicord and uh they're so cheap uh, like that Casio SK one just lying around. People are like, "What's this?" Yeah, yeah. I just bought my wife an auto harp, and I need to do. I need to change out the strings. I had no idea that a pack of strings for an auto harp would be seventy dollars, but I guess it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, there's like two hundred of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I got to get to work on that. It's uh, it's a vintage one, so that and the strings are probably as old as the instruments. <laughs> yeah, I had my my mother's one like hippie auto harp from the sixties, and all the strings were just rusted out. And yeah, it's it's from the sixties. It's just it was just such a nightmare to to restring and to tune, and it's just like it, this is actually not worth it. Maybe. It's like one step shy of tuning a piano, but yeah, <laughs> I had which I, mean, I did I've, for I've, a living for a little while. So oh, I'm, I am comfortable yeah. with that, but like you, there's a little more payoff if you tune a piano. Sure, sure. Well, the the auto harp, like I've had them in my classroom. Sometimes I've been in a couple different schools, so I've 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 had to tune them before, but I've never <laughs> changed out all the strings. Oh man! So um, <clears throat> okay, so I'm not your room is from No, which came out in 2002. Um, so so you did not have any kids yet, but did did you hear No like when it came out, or did you come back and like, well, let's check out these kids albums? I came later. back to it when I was when I had a kid, and I was like, "What's good? What's cool? Kid music? Yeah, let me check out the They Might Be Giants Kids record." Uh huh. Um, and honestly, I think I've only listened to the record once or twice, and I picked out and and, and I picked out this song sure as as the, as the song I liked off that record. And I then think just my threw favorite in the songs is I like from the old records. Bones. Okay, that's that's a kick ass lullaby. I would I would highly recommend that. Um, I'll go check that out. Yeah, I just printed out the chords. But yeah, this one that. was just so weird and so funny and so interesting that I'm I'm, I'm way more obsessed with it than my daughter is. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it then. So, uh, yeah, what well, what spoke to you? It sounded like it jumped out to you right away. What what about it? Like immediately when you're like, this is going on the playlist. What 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 did you like about the song? I am not your broom. I've had enough. I'm throwing off my chains of servitude. No longer must I sweep for you, for I am not your broom. I mean, it's like the Declaration of Independence from a humble <laughs> household implement. It's so genius. And then, so the and then the the, the arrangement, right? It's just it's just a cappella for half of the song. Yeah. Although it's it's multiple voices, right? It's Hand the two, it's the two right. characters. Left and right. Okay. We, do we assume it's, it's, it's the same John singing both voices? Uh, I is think it, Linnell is both of them. Let me look on the wiki. Have you, have you explored TMBW? No. TMBW.net is the rabbit hole to fall into like all day. That has, it's the definitive uh, fan-created wiki. It's exhaustive. Okay. Lead vocal. Yeah, okay. It just has long, John Linnell as the, vocal, as the vocal and the accordion. So he did it all himself. 
Yeah. I mean, that's what I assumed, but that's an interesting touch. And I'm always interested in acapella stuff. Like that's what's there's the um, exquisite dead guy has some cool vocal stuff going on. My God. I want to cover that one, but I need someone who can, who can sing a second like it has yeah. all those crunchy yeah. dissonant intervals, which is so great because like I have friends that can harmonize but it's all, all day. It's all scale wise. You can, yeah, you like can it just kind of like spreads out a little bit. It's such an interesting harmony. But that's another one. Like arrangement wise, yeah. like there's a harp that comes in and there's a weird organ sound that comes in. It just in like there, keeps right? mutating. Yeah. yeah, that I mean that record is just like oh we've got some money let's get everybody in here. Factory showroom. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But okay, so I'm not your broom. Um, Right. Okay. And then, so <laughs> this, I want, I want to get your theory on this. Dude, yeah. Say <laughs> maybe whatever. I'm overthinking let's, it. let's hear it. So your half, half of this song is acapella, right? And it's the, it's the, it's the monologue of the broom step, you know, um, rebuking his master. What nonsense. <laughs> and then, the, you know, the response, what nonsense are you speaking broom by words? You must obey. First of all, as if you speak to a broom now we're, you know, we're in this world in which you're conversing with your, with your broom slave. Um, <laughs> and then, and then the, 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 the master exits the song, right? The, I guess uh-huh. the broom has, has achieved his freedom. And then, <laughs> And he's just humming and sweeping to himself. Yeah, yeah just this, sweeping for fun, I guess, right? Sweeping for fun. So this is the question. <laughs> what, what has been achieved in this, in this, in this, in this revolution of broomhood? You know, I guess, well, the way I would see it. So for one thing, what, what goes through my head is the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, sure, of course. Yeah, right. Same. So, yeah, the broom's there. Or the mop? mop? Is it a mop or Those are mops. Yeah, mops. Yeah, and they're like, no, <laughs> like no way, man. Uh, so I think the over, yeah, the overthrow by the household cleaning implement. Yeah. So I think like he's a broom. So like naturally he wants to sweep, but he doesn't yeah. want to sweep the way this guy wants him to sweep. He wants to do his own sweeping, and clearly he wants to make music. It's a very rhythmic sweeping. Um, yeah, whistle. It's a whistle while you work, and he's he's humming, yeah, I guess, right. <laughs> yeah. This must have been so much fun to record. <sighs> well, also you, the, the that accordion comes in, which is obviously one of those like cheap little paper, like Chinese paper toy accordions that you get as a party. Yeah, flavor. it sounds very thin, right? Because it yeah, sounds and like it's only, got, it's only got the three chords. Yeah, and the key changes. I actually checked. I, I, I checked the key before we did this. So the acapella is in C sharp, but the accordion itself is obviously in C. So it, uh, that comes in and it's it's like um you get this toy accordion and the key changes to match it because it only plays three chords in c <laughs> yeah that's funny i'm looking at because the wiki will have guitar tabs like I've, I've never found a song that didn't have a guitar tab and they tabbed it out like really they should have for the Linnell songs they should have piano sheet music on there those that that's a lot takes a lot more work than to just tab out it's a guitar do, thing. Yeah. So it says, the beginning is acapella, the accordion <laughs> plays C, F, G7, C. I don't think it's actually G7 even. It's just, I mean, it's really, it's got to be one of those little paper things with three, cor- three yeah. triads on it. Yeah, because it sounds like it's like the bass keys, but there's like no low end to it. Like it's almost like a little polka kind of uh, oompa kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, it does sound very, I really, I mean, if I could get, like, I've already had Marty Beller, the drummer, and Danny Weinkoff, the bassist on here, but if I could nab the Johns, 
I would talk to Linnell about like the accordions he's used throughout like the the band's tenure. I would I could talk to him about that all day if he'd be willing. What do you know about about the accordion world? Well, I mean, so I took accordion lessons late <laughs> later in life in my late twenties. When I finally got my piano accordion, I've been messing around on my grandpa's accordion. That one's just in C and G. So, and it's a di- do you own any diatonic accordions or any you know button um, button accordions? I mean, yeah, I have a I have like a British Isles concertina that's uh-huh. diatonic, and so it uh, changes the note changes. Uh, but I'm mostly a I'm mostly a piano, and we had a Russian bayon in the in the house that I think was um, diatonic, but uh, mostly I'm a piano accordion player. Yeah, sure. So the one thing that's harder than about those accordions is, well, it's easier for some things, harder for others. The fact that the note changes depending on if you're pushing or pulling, right? Yeah. Like a harmonica. So um, I've been messing around in my grandpa's and it's fun to just like shred on it because you can improvise like until the cows come home because you, you got those, you got the three chords that fit with everything. You know, you got the one, four, five. And if you just stick to the row of buttons that you are supposed to be on, you can just improvise You're all day. Yeah. That's what I found maddening about, yeah. I tried, I tried to learn Bandonian at one point because I was just obsessed with Piazzolla. And that's like, you know, it's, 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 it's the expanded version of a, diet, of a, of a diatonic okay. instrument, right? So it's, Wait, you let can me play... look this up. Tell me, what am I looking at? Bandonian. Bandonian. It's like a concert version of a concertina. So you can play chromatic music, uh, but it's but it's but it's like a grown-up version of a concertina. Um and it's and the buttons, you know, there's different notes on the pull and the draw. And but they don't have the same relationship to each other. Like it's it's like one will be a second apart, one will be a third, you know, minor third apart, one will be, you know, because it it sort of has the same relation to music theoretical sense as a QWERTY keyboard does to the alphabet. It's all ergonomic. <laughs> you know, you just have to, and I just found it too maddening to learn. Yeah. Wow. I'll have to read more about this later. That's And the pictures I'm seeing, you don't put shoulder straps on it. They're like holding the bellows on their legs. Yeah. You sit and it's across your knee. Huh. Why wouldn't you just put a strap on it? I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to look more into this, but that's very interesting. So I'd been playing on my grandpa's for a while, and like I had put that into some rock songs and stuff that my bands were doing at the time, and I loved it. But then I wanted a a piano accordion, so I went and got myself one, and I played in an accordion ensemble in Bloomington called In Accord. I took lessons from a Bulgarian woman who had, apparently in Bulgaria, you can major in accordion performance in college. So, uh, <clears throat> which is awesome. And so I took accordion lessons from her for a couple of years and I played and this group was, she was the band leader for this group and she refused to play polkas cause she didn't want to get typecast. We played um, like old standards and stuff. We played like moon river. We played Vanikali Funikala, but we would also play like Bach. As if Vanikali Funikala is not typecasting for an accordion. Oh, but that song is so catchy. Come on. You can't deny that song. I love that song. It's, 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 it's cheesy in a way that I'm totally down with. Um, but we played a lot of stuff from like old movies, but then we would also play like sections of like symphonies and stuff. And on six accordions, like it just sounded so thick. I would play some percussion in that group too, but so that was fun. And, um, so, so my wife, when I met her was, uh, was also playing in an, in an all female accordion orchestra in New York called the main squeeze, the, (laughs) the, (laughs) the main squeeze. 
That's yeah. fantastic. Uh, the main right, but it was squeeze. main squeeze accordion. It's still around in a you know a whole different cast of characters. But it was the, the the brainchild of this guy Walter who ran the one of the accordion stores in New York down on the lower, on the Lower East Side in uh-huh. Chinatown, um, which was called main, also called Main Squeeze. And he had he also produced his own accordions, which were Main Squeeze branded accordions. Holy cow! But he had he had this dream once about. Um, conducting an all-female accordion orchestra all in black pigtails and skirts and so he recruited all the like <laughs> slightly creepily recorded recruited all the lady accordion yeah, players in the city into this <laughs> hey ladies into this thing yeah. i can imagine like taking on a classified ad and be like are you a lady do you play the accordion well, no, he, he ran the accordion store so people sure. would come in yeah. you know no, i'm just picturing like the <laughs> creepiest would be way like, possibly he, here's my card yeah, I'm looking at their website right now, mainsqueezemusic.com. What, uh, so... He's passed your wife on some so records, I, it's, then. Uh, she wrote some of the arrangements that are on the record, but I don't think... They were, is there I don't something, think she appears on the record. She doesn't, okay. But is there something, like, accredited to her a little bit that I could play, like, drop a clip in or something? I don't know. There, she, is there... I don't know what's on the record. I think that, uh... Let's see. I mean, don't they have a bunch of records if they've been around for a while? Let's see. Let's see if they're on all music. That, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> the main squeeze. I love podcasts as opposed to uh, live radio because I can edit out my Googling. Um, let's oh. see. The main squeeze. I think they just have the one record from 2011. Without a sound? Um, Is that it? Maybe not. I don't know. Sweet dreams are made of this. Biscaya, Star Wars, Mine Hair, Goldfinger, Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't know. She did oh, some. Oh wow! She, <laughs> I, I know she did some um, uh, some magnetic fields arrangements for them. Like um, oh my god, dude! I got it, man. That's great. I love the magnetic fields. What songs? Uh, um, um, what's the one? Um, There's so many. <laughs> no, I know, but the one. Uh, what album? Love songs. Papa was a rodeo. They did Papa was a rodeo. Ooh. And she would sing that. I gotta, I gotta find something here. The main squeeze. Wait. Uh, Pop was Rolling Stone. That's not what I'm looking for. Um, no. Uh, I'll try to find something. I'd love to drop. I mean, again, we're talking. We're again, like we're talking about like a little bit before YouTube was really sure present. Yeah, so that makes a lot of be. Yeah, thank God they might be giants have like obsessive fans like me who put together this wiki. Because um, without it, like finding out stuff about dial a song songs that never went on an album. Would be impossible. Because uh-huh. that stuff, like, people have compiled, like, these hour-and-a-half bootleg dial-a-song compilations that are really fascinating. Um, hearing, like, these very early versions of songs and songs that never went anywhere other than dial-a-song. Like, they're... Man, uh, that version you played of Dr. Worm with just the accordion and the drum machine is so fucking cool. <laughs> it's amazing how how fully formed yeah. conceptually it is at that, that stage. I know. But you got to imagine, like, that's part of, I mean, I wasn't really there in the 80s, so I don't know, but in terms of, like, building a cultish sense around your project, like, these, this, the ephemeral nature of that yeah, yeah. in a pre-internet age must have been um, intoxicating. Did you ever try calling Dial a Song? If you were interested at all. 
Did you ever try? Yeah, I did when I was. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. so, Were you ever able to get through? (laughs) I don't remember ever hearing anything on it, no. I mean, my story with them is basically what I assume a lot of people's. Like, I got to college in 95, um, and um, I I had sort of been, like, marginally aware of them. Uh I think I knew, knew whatever, you know, the hits. Sure. And then... And then, you know, I like as a, as a, you know, as a, as a 18, 19 year old in New York in 95, 96, 97, you know, I had a, I had a, a roommate, like I didn't know what was cool music. So I had sort of a roommate from Jersey who was into pop punk and Scott and stuff. Yeah, and like, hell yeah. Introduced me to like Mr. T experience and, oh. you know, <laughs> Mill and Colin and fucking <laughs> Mephiscopheles and oh, <laughs> took me to the wetlands to see like the all ages matinees. And so, and, and he was into, they might be giants. So all this world of like, yeah. you know, the, 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 the fed up versions of the Bumblebee tuna song. And, you know, so they, they <laughs> might be giants sort of fit in with that, yeah, that you know, sensibility. I've, I've recorded a lot of episodes already. I've, I've recorded more episodes that haven't aired than have aired at this point. Cause people are, apparently really into talking about they might be giants and i've had no problems finding guests uh but you're the first person i've talked to that i mean you didn't grow up in new york but you were still like of a formative years when you were in new york city so were they was the band pretty inescapable to like that crowd of like that age in that city or did you still have to kind of dig to find them? Because I mean, they were on a major label at that point. But yeah, they were. Everybody knew who they were. I mean, yeah, like, okay. I saw them in '97 at Irving Plaza. Nice. And that was already was like, I mean, they were awesome live too. So that was a factory showroom um, tour then. Factory should, must have been something like that. But I mean, that whole you know, I don't know. They were. I, I feel like there's a reason. I feel like that's the right age to get into them. Also. Oh, for sure. You know, because there's you th- that th- this sort of like combination of goofy. You're into stuff at that age where you're, you're into super goofy stuff or super emotional stuff. Yeah, or super right? brainy so I was all, stuff. I was I like, I'm or a super smart brainy stuff. Like yeah. the other stuff I was into was like, yeah, like American Music Club and Red House Painters and. Zappa and you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you go to all <laughs> right? like the so furthest like, reaches of. Yeah. Music. Yeah. Especially in um, music school. And there's, and for a certain, yeah, right. And for, for a certain kind of, I don't know. And they're also like sexually unthreatening in a way that I think is appealing to some people. Nerds like <laughs> Even uh, asexual yeah. nerds yeah. like it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. And then I think, and then to, to revisit it now as a 40 year old is like, it's also suitable for middle age when you know, when you're, when you're less invested in your taste, um, defining who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you, they're such a great band to have as a favorite band because there's just so much content here. There's, I'm still hearing songs from the eighties and nineties that I've never heard. And I've considered them my favorite band since around 1995 when I was, I was 14 uh, when I got into them through a friend, my friend who's on the Anna Ng episode, he's the one that got me into them. Um, mm-hmm. And Apollo 18 was the first <sighs> thing I heard. I guess this would have been 93. I don't know. Uh, the dates are a little fuzzy, but you know how it goes. So Apollo 18 has always been my favorite album because that's the one that I got into first. And it's just like a little darker kind of flood 
And then, but I really like John Henry, but Factory Showroom, definitely like in my later high school years, you know, that was like the album that was like my junior, senior year of high school. And then I was also really into Mink Car because that one came out when I was in college. So like, you know, away from the parents, I could play my music as loud as I wanted. So like I'm playing Man, It's So Loud in here, uh, incredibly loud <laughs> in the dorm room. So, uh, but Factory Showroom, um, it's a great song. We'll be talking about that more on the the next episode that we're doing. Um, but let's see. Can we? Okay. Can we circle back around to "I'm Not Your Broom"? Maybe. <laughs> sure. Now I love tangents, and that's why podcasts are great because uh, there's no time limit on talking about. I mean, so I guess thing. one of the things to with with "I'm Not Your Broom" like that. There's an, we were talking about accordions. We were talking about like what are the songs that you think of as accordion songs i mean from from my the funny thing for me as someone who for whom the accordion has been such a central part of like my professional identity is i never think of they might be giants as an accordion band really because like enough. even for like a visual element like Linnell's. i know I'm, right now that i think about it right they that's they've they've really embraced that sort of like yeah cultural I used to make the joke that every it time you, you pick out, up 30 yeah. pounds of accordion, you're picking up 30 pounds of cultural baggage at the same time. And you just have to carry <laughs> that with you, and you, you know, in the United yeah. States. And they've it's, just it's really great. embraced that as part of the, as part of the, the, the nerdiness, as part of the, like the, the public face of the, of the thing. Yep. Yeah. Like, and, in, and, in, and in promo photos. as a, in promo photos, he's never standing at a keyboard. He's holding the accordion, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Like, standing in front of just, like, you know, an electric keyboard or whatever. I mean, I suppose if you had some really, like, cool vintage synth in front of you, people might be like, ooh. But, like, the accordion is just, like, especially in the 80s, it's like, who was rocking the accordion? Weird Al and uh, them. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Uh, As far as, like, really playing loud music that featured the accordion. And Weird Al, while there's plenty of overlap there with fans... Um, he's, he's, you know, he's always been in his own world and has created this own little world for himself and they might be giants have created their own little world for themselves. That's, there's some overlap in that Venn diagram, but they, they, they've created their own little thing. And, and yeah, the accordion, um, I mean, it's just such a visual instrument, you know, you like, you stretch out the yeah. bellows and it just looks really cool. At least, at least to someone when, like when me. The- <laughs> The time when I had when I started seriously playing accordion was after the time when I was listening to a lot of They Might Be Giants, uh-huh. um, and I was more invested with in the accordion for it for its glamour and not for its <laughs> um, not for its its sort of nerdy counter glamour. If you if that makes sense. So for for you, what was the what was glamorous about playing the accordion? I mean the 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 people the stuff that I was into that had accordion was like for for its visual appeal and uh, unironically right right so I, I sort of came in through like the band used it for that and then the Pogues you know I was super oh, into the Pogues yeah. for a little while uh-huh. and then I got into all this the Eastern European stuff and Piazzolo who looks amazing and like all this you know I like it's weird to try to explain to Americans about the accordion that in the rest of the world, there's no joke about the accordion. Like that's, that's an instrument. That's a, a a glamorous virtuosic instrument that, you know, you can, you you dance, you'll cry, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll drink till dawn sort of thing. And that's sort of how I came to it and how, how I was embracing it as a visual accessory. 
Hell yeah. Like, and yeah, my, my mom Fredo at the time, like was a big part of right. that. Yeah. My mom, uh, so yeah, my Polish Lithuanian, uh, grandpa played. And so my parents are both from Pittsburgh and, you know, very, you know, working class town, you know, known for the steel mills and all that kind of stuff. So like when my mom was growing up, her, some of her fondest memories of her father, who was a, a raging alcoholic, uh, was when he would play the accordion at parties. And, um, and that's just so cool to me to think about that because this would have been in the 60s and early 70s that like there was plenty of rock music. You could have put a record on the hi-fi, you know, but he would play accordion at these family parties yeah. and, and people would, would dance and sing. And that is like, it's so, even at the time, it must have seemed so kind of old world. But in like, maybe the, you know, the Polish neighborhood that they lived in, um, that was what you did and it, and that's so cool and i do remember like loving the accordion from a young age like uh you know maybe it's just always been in my blood but like you know weird out were the first cassettes i bought and then i got into the mp giants um but like i remember seeing things on tv like most americans just associate with polka music which we find typically find kind of cheesy or else you're just like i oh, go to oktoberfest and look at those people in lederhosen and there's a polka band with a tuba and blah blah, blah. but i remember seeing things on like when I was a kid, uh, you remember the cartoon Animaniacs? You were probably a little too old for mm-hmm. it at the time. But, uh, well, yeah, I know it exists, but I never. Yeah, that yeah. So there was there was a bit in Animaniacs where, and this is one of my favorite accordion jokes. Um, it was called "Good Idea, Bad Idea," and so it's a <laughs> good idea playing the accordion in a polka band. Bad idea playing the accordion anywhere else. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the guy got like punched or something. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I still think that's pretty funny. But yeah, there's definitely a, a I, mean, I, I think stigma is maybe too strong of a word, but um, I don't think it's too strong a word. I mean, there, like I have a, I have a bunch of stuff to stay on this. Do it. One, the fir- first is if you grew up in, in Pennsylvania with in around with polka around your family, there's well, a I grew up in Chicago. But yeah. My mom, my mom grew up in Pittsburgh okay. and then they moved to Chicago. There's there's a Netflix documentary called The Man Who Would Be Polka King that they then um, uh, turned into a Jack Black movie, which I think never uh, appeared in the in the theaters. Also called Polka King, but uh-huh. it's based on the true story of this nice. Pennsylvania polka legend Jan Levan, oh. who ended up going to federal prison for running a, a, a giant Ponzi scheme. <laughs> it's it's it totally. I, I watched both the the Jack Black movie and the documentary to- with complete and utter fascination. I recommend it to everybody. Like truth is stranger than fiction kind of story. That yeah, it's amazing. Great. The man who would be Polka King on Netflix. Oh my god! Um, I know what I'm doing tonight. I mean, the stigma around polka. It's like you. My wife wrote a paper on this, so if nice. I, I apologize if I'm. Um, if misrepresenting her, her take on it, but there's that's, it's a little hard to separate that from the, from the anti-immigrant sentiment of the first half of the 20th century. Oh, wow. right? So you're talking about these poor Eastern European immigrants from, um, from Poland, from Hungary, from the Czech Republic coming to the United States, dealing with anti-immigrant sentiment yeah. and the, 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 the part of the Amer- of American culture that looks down on polka and looks down on the accordion is in it is, 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 in, is a, a part of that and of that looking down on these, um, these poor immigrants, right? Mm, yeah. Like yeah. The, the connection All between the, the connection yeah. between the connection between ethnic whiteness and the accordion 
and 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 bigotry and anti-immigrant sentiment is all a big part, a part of how that stigma stigma arrives. This, and I mean, yes, yeah, it, then it becomes totally. to be it comes to be culturally dominant in the in the person of Lawrence of the Lawrence Welk show, and that's what you know that's what the guitar culture and rock culture is is reacting to. But the but the the part of American culture in which the accordion is a joke is 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 an is an anti-immigrant. Um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, wow. um, American, um, American aristocracy viewpoint. I never thought about that. I mean, and if you go back even further, I mean, like the, the all this shit that the Irish immigrants took. Uh, sure, absolutely. You know, in the in the late, uh, I, I mean, like if you watch like Gangs of New York or something, like you know, who knows how bloody those battles actually were? People having fistfights and stuff about you know who was really an American. You know, like we're the natives. It's like no, you're not. <laughs> but um, like the Irish, like accordion is is huge in in Irish folk music as well. Obviously, uh, so again, another culture bringing over the accordion, a culture that is is looked down upon by the people that were in America. You know, a generation before them or whatever. Uh, so that that's very interesting. I I would actually be really interested to read uh, your wife's. Uh, article i'll send you the link yeah i mean i think that's that's if you think about all the all the immigrants who have been discriminated against in the history of of the united states irish italians uh jews um and then the 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 others the the czechs the poles like what's the difference between an an accordion joke and a polish joke right they come from the same (laughs) place they come from the the jokes about these stupid immigrants and their and their and their dumb music submarine with the screen door (laughs) yeah right like I haven't That's heard a Pollock joke about when we think. I, I haven't heard a dumb Pollock yeah. joke in a while. But even like when I was a kid in the '90s, I remember hearing those and being like such a mutt. Like I, you know, these days I probably identify most with with being Polish because that's probably the biggest chunk of my ancestry. Though I do have, I mean, Simpson is an English name, so my dad's side is English, Scottish, Irish, German, and. Yeah, really, the English music is maybe the least associated with with accordions, but all those other ones have accordions in it. And then my mom's side is a Polish and Lithuanian, mostly Polish. So uh, I identify as that now. But back in the day, like I didn't take any offense to Polish jokes. Uh, it was mostly just like you know we laugh it off or whatever. But back well, at this point, back you know, a lot the, further. Yeah, yeah, it was much more serious. Much more, much more assimilated now in the United States. Like yeah. you, but you would still hear that sort of thing in in England ten or fifteen years ago when when the polls were the when you know when when EU immigration and and free movement laws brought a lot of Polish construction workers to England oh, to do uh-huh. menial labor. Right, like whatever's the the ethnic white underclass is gonna yeah. is gonna hit, get some of that. Yeah. Man, I did not expect time. this uh, this episode to get so deep, but I'm loving it. It's it's bringing out, yeah. Um, the uh, I mean, it's definitely tying in a lot of stuff that my wife studies. Um, yeah, about whiteness. Like she talks a lot about like how even in Mexico, like if you watch like broadcast news uh, uh, from a, like a Mexico City TV station, the the uh, newscasters are going to be very light skinned uh, Mexican. You know, more of Spanish descent than say like mayan or you know what they call aztec now you know the 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 native americans the native central americans right um so this this discussion is kind of tying together two things i'm very interested in um due to my my smart wife educating me about a lot of that kind of stuff and also the ethnomusicality stuff has always been very interesting to me 
and I, I do teach that to a degree. Uh, I, I like to teach a lot of, for lack of a better term, world music, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, to to elementary school kids because I want them to be exposed to a lot of a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, this is this this is awesome, man. Um, also, just like a, a, an interesting appendix, which we don't have to get into, but the accordion <laughs> was also the official instrument of, um, of 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 the communist state. It's the people's <laughs> instrument in um, yeah. in the Soviet Union, and remains so in North Korea. Like there, you can find videos of giant, you know, really? all female accordion orchestra. Yeah, because it's the people's instrument in, because it it, it combines, <laughs> um, you know. It's a it's a portable piano, right? Yeah. It has the rhythm section and the and the melody in it. You can go out and bring it on into a field. You can you know yeah. put it in front of a, front of a marching army. You know it's it's um, so it has it's that pretty loud for history too. Yeah, and piano accordions can get pretty loud if you pump them hard. And I, yeah, I don't know if you've seen. I mean, we haven't been Facebook friends for that long, but I've posted some stuff about. I'm doing a uh, <clears throat> New England folk, uh, New England and Appalachian folk dances with my second and third graders, and I'll play accordion with a lot of them because they're mostly of sure. uh, Irish. Well, there's a lot of Irish um, type dances in there and stuff that's that you know as it became more American, became more like Appalachian folk or country music. But yeah, a lot of accordion in there, and yeah, it's like I have a uh, piano in my room, and I play that a lot. I play guitar a lot. Um, but the piano, you're kind of stuck there behind like a little half wall that you're looking over at the kids. But the accordion, you just walk around the room with it. It's it's uh, really like most people look at it as some sort of novelty. They're like, "Whoa, Mr. Simpson, you play the accordion?" You know, like the other teachers are thinking, "Like, oh, that's cool." And I'm like, it's actually a very convenient instrument to use for something like this because mm-hmm. you know, little little Bobby or whatever is is goofing around. You know, I can kind of like inch a little closer to him and be like. Hey, <laughs> pay attention. <laughs> right. For pedagogy, like what's the alternative? An acoustic guitar? Like you can't yeah. you can't play yeah. a melody for someone and uh, what the harmony line is and while still playing the chords and whatever on, on an acoustic guitar. Yeah, I um, do this this dance game with my with the second and third graders called Circle Around Zero, which is a really fun, easy game to learn. I mean you need kind of a bigger group to do it. But yeah, like there's words to it that they sing, but I can play the melody on the accordion while doing, and it's just a C and F uh, harmonic progression. It's like super easy, and I don't even really need to think about it. I can walk around uh, and kind of, you know, make sure they're doing it right, and not like, you know, running into each other and falling over <laughs> while they're doing it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually been really, really, really not only fun, but like very convenient instrument to use in class for the... I mean, I guess I would be I would be curious to hear from people who are younger than us, right? If yeah. we grew up in, you know, we're still in a generation that grew up with the the public face of accordion being Weird Al, and they might be giants, yeah. right? But there there was a there's been an accordion revival in the yeah. last twenty years, I would say, yeah. where you know, and I have my theory about why that happened, which is that there were so many millions of accordions sold in the forties and fifties, and uh-huh. like it was there were more accordions sold in America than any other instrument. You know, our really? grandparents' generation. Really? I, I think that's right. I've heard that, and I'm, I, I believe it. If you know, if, if Lawrence Welk show was the, you know, hell yeah, was the, was I'm the gonna Google show it real quick. Yeah, just keep. Uh, um, I'll, but I'll keep giving you my theory. Yeah, do which it. is that then all those accordions they didn't go into the garbage dump; they went into the attic. You know, and our parents' generation didn't goodwill. want anything to yeah. do with them or the goodwill. And then as our grandparents passed away and our parents cleaned out the attics and they put all these accordions up on eBay in the eBay world, 
um, you can get you, these amazing instruments for two, three, four hundred dollars. And so then you see this, uh, you, you know, this wave of bands, um, you know, Arcade Fire, Decembrists, yeah. Gogo Bordello, you know, like World Inferno would, you know, every city we would go to, we would play with the local dude with the accordion doing a Tom Waits impression, yes. you know, like the accordion <laughs> became a real, you know, and all the, all the like gypsy punk bands. Yeah. Um, and I really think, I think there's a connection there is like people, you know, young Bohemians, hipsters for lack of a better word, sure. to, you know, could get a extremely good instrument for a couple hundred bucks and discover how versatile it was. And, and, you know, with the, with maybe getting it ironically or getting it like because of all the cultural baggage and then sort of falling in love with it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely did not play the accordion ironically. And, but yeah, my grandpa's like, I don't, I, I should ask my mom how much she paid to fix that up. Cause she was just very, I have, I have three of my grandpa's accordions <laughs> and two of them were so mangled. Like my mom didn't know better. She kept them in a crawl space for like, well, he died when I was six, so I guess like 12 years, you know, at least a decade, they sat in a damn crawl space and kind of fell apart on the inside. You know, they were already old, and so yes. we fixed up this one that was the least uh, destroyed, and I don't know how much she spent, but we went to a uh, Chicago accordion company. It's It used to be on Michigan Avenue. I've been there. I've, to- I've totally been there. It's in uh, Oak Lawn now? They've tuned it up Is for me the- since. Yeah. There's one I had a Excel spreadsheet when I was on the t- when I was on the road all the time for uh-huh. a couple for a bunch of years of accordion repair people all over the country and all the uh, all over the world really because yeah. it, it would be in England particularly too and it's just like there's all you know you'd be and I so you started to get this sense of like where the hot spots were where it would be easy to get my accordion fixed because uh-huh. they're not that easy to tour with there's a million so many moving parts and I could sort of like hack repair a lot of stuff yeah, you yeah. know pull out some leathers and you know a lot of duct tape involved but <laughs> right now I'm know. looking for the right kind of glue to put uh, I I just <laughs> lost one of the uh, the metal edges on uh, one of the bellow folds uh, fell off. And luckily there's no like hole behind it or whatever. Like it's still, I've, I've had that happen before where one of the metal, uh, I don't know, elbows or whatever you'd call it, like came yeah, off yeah, yeah. Uh, and there was a hole behind it. So then it was losing air. Sure. Uh, now this one that came off, there was no hole. So, uh, you know, I've got it and I'm just like, that's easier. Yeah. I just need to find the I right mean, kind just, of glue. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the parts are hard to find too, because a lot of those come, you know, there's not that many companies making the new parts. So a lot of the repair guys are just like taking old instruments and, and scal- salvaging them for, for yeah, parts. Yeah. Scrap. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, I was in, up in, in Toronto Indiana. for a year one time and, uh-huh. and, and I didn't, again, sort of following my wife's career as the academic spouse, she had a posting yep. at UT mm-hmm. and I didn't have a lot to do. So I was, I was sort of tuning pianos during the day and then I was apprenticing with the this accordion repairman in in Scarborough, right outside of town, and, nice. And uh, it was really interesting to see how that you know to finally get the skills that I had just sort of been hack teaching myself, yeah. But also to see like what the I mean that business is all selling right now is selling the Roland MIDI accordions. Oh wow! Well, I'll tell you. Last time I went to the Chicago Accordion Company, uh, they're making their money off the the Norteño bands, all the um, Mexican American mm-hmm. guys that are. You know, sure. starting up bands like that. Um, and I found out that... So there's, there were a ton of accordions that were colored like the Mexican flag. You know, where like the bellows were white. Yeah. And then you had the one yeah. side was red and the other side was green, which is awesome. And I found out that they don't even put 
uh, reeds on the bass side, and the bass buttons are purely decorative because they're only playing melody, and it makes it a lot lighter, yeah. which I thought was pretty ingenious, but I was also like, what? what if you want to play the bass side? Yeah, uh, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, in Toronto, it was a bunch. It was, the, it was a bunch of Serbians for whatever immigration oh. reason. Like these oh. incredible. I mean, they're incredible. The Serbian accordion players. Yeah, virtuosic. Hmm. But that's that was the sort of the customer base. Yeah, yeah. It is amazing how the accordion and is then so in England, pervasive. It was all it, in other parts of the it was world. All, it was tricky because it was all like these. I mean, all the accordion repairmen outside of the cities are like one elderly, one old dude yeah, living yeah. by himself <laughs> with a with a with a, a a thing in his garage. Yeah, a, you know, a workshop. But all the um, all the British guys, it was always tricky because they didn't play piano accordions. They were all button right. you know, concertinas and right. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so, anyway. yeah, if you've never been to, well, if you're ever coming through Indiana, the places, the only places that I trust with my accordion are um, Arthur's in Indianapolis has repaired my accordion before, uh, minor repairs, but anything major, uh, Mid-America accordions in Richmond is the place to go. That's where I got my piano accordion. And it is just a guy who's not super old. You know, it's, well, this was, t- man, this was a while ago I got my piano accordion, actually. So he's probably, he's definitely in his 60s by now. Um, but yeah, it's just his house. And then I think he bought the little house that was next to it and connected them and has a repair shop in one house and then the, the, the showroom. Yeah. And there were, they had the MIDI accordions and I definitely should have bought one because, because when I play it in a rock setting, like I've been in neutral milk hotel cover bands more than once. Uh, I also play the singing saw. So I'd be like the Julian Coster mm-hmm. of the groups. And miking up an accordion is very difficult in a loud, loud setting, right? What do you yeah, use? I'll do you have you. one with an input, or do you mic it? Yes, I have. I've had I've had in, with an input for years, um, and I prefer that. Yeah. For, well, I'll tell you, I used the Roland accordion on one tour because because um, I knew someone at Roland in England, and I was opening for Frank Turner for a month. Uh huh. Um, so it was big rooms and I brought my full size piano accordion and he gave me a, a Roland, which I had never played before. And my piano accordion got a stuck reed really early and the, the, I just, I wasn't able to fix it. So I was, I was playing the shows with the Roland and I really didn't like it just mm. because it felt so different. Yeah. Um, and because I was so exposed because it was just me solo singing and the sound of the accordion. And to me, in that context, it sounded, it did, the, the, the sound didn't sound real. Mm. Now, I think for the people who use accordion um, with a rock band on a regular basis, it makes tons of sense. Sure. Um, like uh, the dude from Flogging yeah. Flog- Molly, I think, uses, um, uses one of those Rollins. And maybe the guy from the Dropkick Murphys, too. Like that, in that, in that sense, where it doesn't need to. It, you don't need to have the set, the exact sound of a real accordion. Uh-huh. Um, it has to sound like I enough like an accordion more, to the layman, right? And to look like an, enough like an accordion, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but in terms of like perform solo performance in front of a a large room full of people, I found it challenging. Also, because you know, from a from the dramatic point of view, I got really used to having a slightly leaky accordion. Yeah, and doing a lo- doing a lot of this and doing a lot of the huge extension in yeah. front of my face and all that stuff. Showmanship, and like, a re- showmanship, and a really tight, 
MIDI accordion, you can't doesn't really do that yeah, stuff. Man, I'm looking at these. These are so um, expensive. They're so expensive. Yeah, they're oh incredible computers. Six thousand dollars. Holy cow! Now John Linnell, he has basically what it looked like, kind of like wireless lapel mics on his accordion. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm pretty sure yeah. I've seen um, in Arcade Fire that she uses those too. Where I mean, the problem is that the sound comes out of so many places. Well, I think it depends on the size of your stage. So right. here's another thing. Um, the whole city opened for Counting Crows for a month in England a bunch of years ago. Oh, yeah. And they, their keyboard player had an accordion. And he also had the little clip mics on the, yeah. the right hand side. Yeah. So I think that makes sense. And Arcade Fire, probably the same thing in two cases. One is if you're playing primarily a right hand, which I'm guessing these guys are because they're mostly yeah. piano players. Um, and also if you're on a big enough stage where there's not a lot of bleed from the other instruments, um, that you can get away with that. I found it easier because I was never on that huge of a stage for the most part, especially in the early years with world Inferno, nine people on a tiny stage. Um, there was just too much bleed to be using that kind of thing. And I preferred the internal pickup, but Uh, the internal pickup, it sounds weird. It has this hollow thing. You get feedback problems. I mean, there's no great solution. I think probably if you have an instrument that you really want to reproduce the acoustic sound of it, the, the, the the clip on versions are the way to go. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, this is, yeah, this is a very niche conversation. Oh, we've it's a, you know, into. I'm telling you, our the the fan base of the podcast is going to love it because obviously they're down <laughs> with accordions. They love the MIP Giants. There's quite a few people that pick up the accordion because of the MIP Giants, and I'm finding out about them. I mean, if you really, if you want to see some real TMBG love, join the Facebook group Miscellaneous T TMBG mm. Chat, and uh, you'll see people posting themselves doing covers and stuff, and on occasion there'll be an accordionist. Um and yeah, I've performed a lot of things on much... accordion. I just did our first the first live episode. We did Don't Let's Start. Uh and that's just actually that should be on Spotify now. Uh I'm also doing a live tribute uh show that I'm gonna put up for free on like Bandcamp. I cause I was running you know, I was running mics to my computer. I had a really good sound guy, even though it was this tiny bar. And so I'm putting out this album, you know, it's live covers, so you know, it's chock full of mistakes from pretty much everybody, but it's super fun. And so I played accordion on a lot of stuff and I just would put, you know, I just get up real close to a SM 57. I mean, it was a tiny bar, you know, um, and it would come through. Okay. I played my grandpa's on one. I played my grandpa's on, um, lucky ball and chain. Cause it's in G. It's a matter of how much you, how much you want your left hand, right? Cause if you, if you're just dealing with a mic, you got to make a choice. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of the problems was, so I played, uh, we want a rock from flood with my friend on who had a six string electric violin. And so mm-hmm. I sang it. And for a lot of it, while I was singing, I was just using the bass keys. Cause honestly it was easier. Uh, cause yep. the song, yeah, it's going like C G D G C G D G. So I was just bouncing around with my left hand, but I didn't have it mic'd up well enough and it didn't come through all that well. Um, on the recording, which is a shame, but it's just, you know, whatever. It, I think it probably came through in the bar, okay? Because uh, by that late at night, it had uh, filtered out a little bit, but on the recording, it didn't come through all so well. But yeah, I mean, really, you'd need like four little lapel mics if you're really gonna mic both sides. And like, when you're playing a low piano key, it's coming out like right by your face, but when you're playing a high piano key, it's coming out down by your 
<laughs> your stomach. It's just I so mean, hard. That's the argument for the for the Roland if you can afford it, I guess. I used a contact mic before too, which is definitely not ideal yeah. for sound. But when I was playing in that's in how that's the first thing I tried when I first joined World Inferno with it, and I was like, "How am I going to be able to do this?" Yeah. I was playing it into a into a mic, which didn't work, and then I got a, a contact mic that I would scotch tape on, and that really didn't work. And you know, eventually, I ended up springing for the internal one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if I'm yeah, if I'm I'm actually probably playing accordion more than I ever have, except for when I was in that ensemble. Um, and I really should invest in one. I bet my relatives would chip in for me on like uh, maybe my first Father's Day gift. <laughs> How, how familiar are are you with a guy named Cornmo? Oh, just you know just Cornmo? through they might be giant stuff. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm not all that familiar. Um, he's an old buddy of mine, and yeah, I, I, it, it only just occurred to me when we were talking about like guys who play accordion and saying that he's um, that he's sort of over over intersects with they might be giants world a little bit. Yep. Yeah, he appears on. Oh, does he appear on the latest? Oh, he appears on a song off My Murdered Remains, which just came out in December. Oh, he's on one of the records. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. No, I also, I have a, a poster yeah. my wife got me, a nice screen print, They Might Be Giants poster, with the accordion all, all stretched out in the graphic that he opened for them. I believe it's some show in Iowa. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm looking at the at pictures of this guy. Oh, this is great. He's got long hair. Yeah, he's amazing. He sings. He's got a, a, a long running gig now. He had been with the Bindlestiff Family Circus. Uh-huh. Um, I think when I met him twenty years ago, and then he's got he's got this gig now with a heavy metal Bee Gees cover band <laughs> that takes him all over the world called Tragedy. Uh, he has this amazing like hair metal voice. But I'm he looking used to at do him one, now. I think Man, still does. Job. Yeah, a solo act with accordion, and he would shove a drumstick into his shoe that he would hit cymbals with. And but he has the, he, you know, he sings like he's in White Snake. This is he's great. incredible. I gotta check this out, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, the record so, I recommend yeah. is uh, called "The Magic Is You." I'm looking at his bank. I think that's right what it's now. called. The magic is you. Holy cow! There's a lot of magic is you. I think you would like it. Magic is you. I don't know. I'll find it. I'll find it. Um, yeah. It looks like his band camp might be mostly like little singles and, and stuff that he's put out. That's great. Yeah, I will look into this, man. I, yeah, I'd only been casually looking into him due to They Might Be Giants connection, but uh, it, let's uh, let's try to wrap up the I'm Not Your Broom actual conversation, uh, but this has been this has been awesome, but uh, back to the, the song. I, I think people will be completely fine with these tangents because yeah, because accordion is awesome, and if if they don't want to listen, they can just fast forward. Uh, yeah. So so um, so yeah. So so I'm not your broom. Uh, your kids your kids are fans of this song. I am. This is one of the ones that I am more of a fan of than they are. Oh yeah, you mentioned that before. <laughs> so 
What, well, what do they think about it? What do they say when it's on? They put up with it because it's only a minute long, and I demand that they leave it on. <laughs> they don't sing along? It's not the hit. It's not the hit. Yeah. There's another guy that I really like called Ivor Cutler, who's this weird Scottish guy yeah. who also writes simil- like absurdist one or two minute little little songs that um that he accompanies himself on a harmonium. Um, cool. And I guess he was on. He's a, all, everyone from Scotland knows him. He was in the Magical Mystery Tour movie, I think. Oh, um, wow. He put out like George Harrison got really into him. Um, but he's this weird character. There's a BBC documentary, but uh, he's the other one that that um, that I thought might be great children's music. Yeah. They, so is it made I'm, for I'm, kids' music or just music that that kids would like? It's music that kids might like. <laughs> might, but in the same way that might. they might like, um, um, uh, uh, like <laughs> Edward Gorey or uh, um, who's the guy who did the. Uh, the weird things that are not exactly limericks. Um, <laughs> I don't like know. Once with, uh, uh, Lear, Edward Lear is who I'm thinking of. It's kind of, it's more like, it's more like Lear. Oh man. So I'm not your broom. I, I, there's a video here that I hadn't seen before. Is this an official video? I'm seeing a video that looks, I don't know. There's a kid and a talking to his broom. Obviously, a literal interpretation, a little animation. Um, and then the kid plays the accordion, and the broom sweeps along with it. It's pretty cute. Uh, have you seen that? No. I, yeah, I see two. Uh, Maybe your kids Google, would like there's it There's this little cartoon. And there's one from the Enhanced CD, which I do have the CD, but I haven't popped it into my computer. The MOP Giants have always been on the cusp of like music technology and how to get their music out there and like enhanced cds were you know the thing for a while um i'm wondering at this point if it would break my computer i know computers are kind of confused by those cds now there's one that i'm sending you now that has that has linnell at, at, and a broom our broom you must now sweep for me the dust it fills my room oh john i will not sweep for you for i am not your broom what nonsense are you speaking, Broom? My words you must obey. Another life awaits me, and I'm leaving you today. I am not your broom. I am not your broom. I've had enough. I'm throwing off my chains of servitude. I am not your broom. I am not your broom. No longer must I sweep for you, for I am not your broom. Oh. This is apparently from 97, Greg. Yeah, okay, so this was written as not a kid's song, I'm guessing. But this is, looks like the dial song version, or like what they were doing. Yeah, it's just John and a Broom from 1997. So not written for the kid's record. Okay, yeah, okay, here we go. I'm looking on the wiki. In a 2003 interview with NPR's Fresh Air with Terry Gross, Linnell said he created the song after buying a cheap video camera for his computer. He thought it would be a great way to create and share some inexpensive music videos. After hooking up the camera, he looked around the room for something to write about and use in a video, and the only suitable thing was a broom. Amazing. There you go. Yeah. How great is that? Yeah, the, the, song, was played, the song was played as early as 1997, five years before Noah's released. Uh, other bit of trivia, Rupert Grint, who is Ron Weasley in Harry Potter, 
calls this song a cool track on his iTunes celebrity playlist. <laughs> That's pretty on brand. Uh, oh, and then one, one more. This song was originally sung to the tune of Oh Susanna, as heard okay. on the quick cam version. That makes sense. Okay. By the time that it was released on No, however, the tune was slightly modified. To me, when I listen to it, it almost sounds like the song Older. Uh-uh. You know their song Older? Oh, yeah, you're yeah. older than you've ever even been, older, and now you're even now you're older. E- yeah, yeah. The melody starts out a lot like that. Do, 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 and then it kind of changes. That's what it reminds me of. Uh, that, yeah, that's the sort great. of melody you would come Man, up with if quick. you're just dicking around by yourself. Yeah. Like something that's kind of stuck in your brain that you don't, you know, really intentionally rip off, but it just comes to you. Yeah. A little scale-wise thing. Uh, It is such a great little simple song. It is, yeah, so not written as a kid's song, but perfect for a kid's song. That's so great. Yeah. Man. Yeah, and I love uh, your interpretation about the, you know, making it political. And I'm sure that was going through Linnell's mind when he first sang it. It was like, oh, here's this thing that I use for my own benefit. Uh, but what if it was uh, humanized? <laughs> well, right. And the, like it's a, it's so a broom, if you think about a broom and labor, a broom yeah. is literally only created for this one job. Uh, it's only created to be used as a tool by humans. Yeah. yeah. What, you know, it opens up all this sort of philosophical blah, blah, blah. If you think about the broom, yeah. animate, you know, the robot rebellion. <laughs> you can do a whole suite about this. Like, I am not your hammer or whatever, yeah. you know. <laughs> but then but then of course what is fun. the what does the tool do once it's liberated and it, it's it's its yeah. sole purpose is this one thing it's actually and can it operate itself can, like how human is this thing itself. can it physically sweep by itself there you go apparently it can <laughs> and apparently it finds great joy in yeah. doing so you know it's sing, humming in this to itself. song yeah so it's happily it, swishing along <laughs> so for maybe the message it's it's not it's not the work itself that oppresses it's the uh it's the being, it's the, it's the not working for oneself. Yeah. You know, it's like when I was in school, not that I extremely disliked reading, but I hated having like reading homework, you know, for English class or whatever, for lit class. Reading on your own, something that you have physically picked out and want to read for your enjoyment is completely different than being like, here, read this old book that you don't care about. Sure. You know? When you're a kid, especially. So, like, the broom is like, hey, I want to sweep, but uh, not for you, man. <laughs> or, yeah. <laughs> Plenty of people love making stone walls for, uh, for, for fun and for meditative manual labor. You know, you know, breaking rocks in the hot sun is an entirely different proposition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man, I like this. This, uh, for the first song, or the, for the first episode of the podcast about one of the kids' songs. Uh, I think this perfectly took it into the adult realm while still, uh, yeah, still seeing it as a kid song, but also as an adult song. And that's why it is a great song. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. So I guess let's just go ahead and wrap up. And uh, you listened to a couple episodes, so you know that I'm going to make you score the song. One to ten. Uh, ten being your favorite They Might Be Giant song ever. And one being you never want to listen to it again. And you can use decimals. What would you score? A, I am not your broom. This is really one of my favorites. I'm going to put this up at an eight. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as far as the kids' songs go, because then, like, I'm thinking, you know, I've got to do so many episodes here. I'm going to end up doing so many episodes. The only 10 I've given is Dr. Worm. Yeah. Uh, Anna Ng was 9.9. 9. 
and that's what I'm usually stacking them up against. But do I stack up the kids' songs against the other songs, or just stack the kids' songs up against each other? I think they have to. In their own to category. No, no, no. I think they have to, um, to 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 stand or fall alongside all the other songs. I don't think you can yeah. roll them off. I mean, yeah. this one obviously was yeah. written in the same way that all the other songs are written, and it was just sort of yeah. thrown into a kids' kid song basket. I mean, like, yeah, like yeah, I said, exactly. I feel like their best their best songs for kids are not the kids songs necessarily. Right. And I feel. I think Mammal is amazing. I think that in general <laughs> that's the case. I think when people like feel like writing kids songs are, is easy and they can just sort of toss them off, they're going to write shitty kids songs, and you can tell. Yeah, like Baby Shark. Well, Baby Shark. I mean, that's got an interesting backstory. Oh well, let's let's uh, talk about that later. <laughs> We've already got yeah. ninety six minutes, and I'm my in wife the, is I'm like, the, "Hey, the baby's yeah, away." I'm in the depths of baby sharkdom right now, but uh, yeah, oh, we can boy. get to that later. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other wormhole. Uh, so okay, so yeah, that's that's a good point. I think I, I have to score it against everything else. So with that in mind, I never think of my score before I talk to my guests because just in talking to you makes me appreciate it on a whole other level. It's nice to think it through with someone else uh, in a conversation. Um, I think I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a solid seven because yeah, a kid song or a grown up song is very unique in that it's a cappella. And on one hand, some people might be like, "Well, it's just a cappella," but on the other hand, and it's hard to pull off an interesting song with this this few of instruments mm-hmm. being the voice and the accordion. And I think it perfectly executes that. And John Linnell is a genius. And the the concept, the execution, the simplicity of it is almost necessary. If it were, if there were any more instruments in it, it would kind of seem wrong. It wouldn't fit the the storyline, I guess, of the song, right? Um, so I think I'm going to give it a seven. Yeah, just yeah. Seven. Also, I think <laughs> I didn't say this. I, I I meant to say this before, and it just I just reminded me. I think this um, must be a, a one take. I think that's the that's how you can explain how, the only reason you can explain the, the 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 weird key thing that happens. I think he must have started singing it, and then only when he started playing the accordion realized that he was his pitch was off, and yeah. then just left it. Yeah, yeah. He didn't give himself a starting pitch when he started the acapella portion. Yeah, which I think it's interesting. That's cool. Okay, so yeah, let's go ahead and wrap it up. What um, would you? What do you want to plug? And I could also play if you want me to play any clips of anything. I'm sure I will drop in some Hold Steady song, uh, especially probably something with you on accordion, since we talked about that so much. Uh, anything in particular you'd want me to play of your uh, discography uh, for people to hear? I, I think maybe World Inferno wouldn't be something as familiar to um, um. some of the Mickey Giants fans. I'm not sure though. Uh, what, what do you think? What should I? What should I? What should I play? Or what do you want to plug? I mean, I if you want to do an accordion stuff, I got to think about this stuff because I haven't. Hearts of Boston, maybe from the Live Free Tory EP, because I think that's just me and vocals. I'm gonna find you wherever you are. If I started walking, I'd be almost there by now. I'm on the world. 
world stage From the Tenerife swamps To the deserts of New Orleans You can't read your lines If you can't find the page In my raging shame I cursed Bad God, no offering I'm a magi With bad apologies No scented candles No shiny things Never trust a man Without a horror story Arrows The rose in the soil The hearts of Boston They lie for me The hearts of Boston Have a hurricane to answer for And then, since we've been talking about acapella, the last thing I did was this record called, called Peep Songs. So if you go to the band camp, Bandcamp, the first record is called Peep Songs, and this is all acapella. This is a choral song cycle that I wrote. Sweet. That I'm pretty proud of. Okay. So what? Uh, play one of those. What? Yeah, okay. Anyone in particular? Play the, you want to just pick play one? The first, you know, track one, Roger Manning. Will do. And these are also, also sort of bite-sized things. The world is mine because I'm poor, sad. Hitchhiking and dumpster diving, the joys of life. What the hell are you doing going into that garbage? We said treasure hunting. I see all of these people going into the same store. Where we get the garbage and all these cars killing me. People working so hard and ending up with nothing. I've got nothing, but at least I didn't work hard for it. Work, work hard for it, but this is not a folk song. This is not a folk song. No, this is not a folk song. No. You know you're headed for shit, but what can you do? This is not a folk song. No. very exciting okay so yeah everybody check that stuff out um thanks for being on this episode that ended up being a long but uh worthwhile discussion about um immigration uh the accordion and um class uh (laughs) class struggles uh which which is perfect for they might be giants because they are an educational band and i like learning things and and talking through this kind of adult stuff in in uh, for a kids episode i think this turned out pretty awesome <laughs> great so thanks 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 again man that was great yeah of course my pleasure yeah i guess uh, uh we'll just uh call that a wrap on this one so thanks for listening to another episode of this might be a podcast I'm Greg Simpson, your host. You can uh, find me and the podcast on Twitter. Uh, my personal Twitter is at Outdoor Valor. That's my band I talk about, of course, always plugging my shit. To find the podcast, we are at This Might Be a Pod on Twitter. Facebook, it's uh, facebook.com slash This Might Be a Podcast. You can email me, This Might Be a Pod at Gmail. 
And of course, you can leave me a voicemail. I love that stuff. You can also text me at this Google Voice number, 224-801-2930. That number again, 224-801-2930. And if you like what you're hearing, I'd really appreciate if you go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Leave a review if you want. Uh, Go rate us on whatever podcast thingy you listen to us on subscribe on itunes subscribe or follow on spotify whatever it's called thanks again and we will see you next time on this might be a podcast and so long everybody Shh, 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 shh,